fly around. Little green peas from the ground. Buttermilk biscuits, nice and brown. Bring it to the Tennessee farm table. Butter beans, peas, beets, and chard. Chickens running in the yard. Catfish frying in that lard. Bring it to the Tennessee farm table. Cast on skillets, good and hot. Watch it steam and crack and pop. Cornbread bacon in that stove. Bring it to the Tennessee farm table. Pick them maters, good and ripe. Drop 'em black gang candy stripes. Look at 'em loading down those vines. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast, a show that is dedicated to the people of the state of Tennessee who produce, prepare, and preserve food and agriculture, often with that Mountain South Appalachian flair. And on occasion, I just might have a guest from our neighbors from surrounding states here in the Southeast. This is your hostess and producer, Amy Campbell. The theme song that you just heard was sung and produced by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine. She's from Madisonville, Tennessee. This Easter weekend, we are setting the table with deviled eggs and hot cross buns. My guests are young farmer Marshall Bales, who is a 15-year-old sixth-generation farmer in charge of the egg program at Bales Farm in Mossheim, Tennessee, also, Allison Bales shares her mother's recipe for deviled eggs and a few tips for peeling eggs more easily. And Karen Sorio of Miraville, Tennessee, shares story of hot cross buns along with her recipe for making these special Easter treats. Plus, I have some pairs of tickets for the 25th Annual National Cornbread Festival, which is taking place April 22nd, 23rd, and 24th in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, and I'll have some details on those later into the show. They've asked me to judge that cornbread festival this year, along with two other judges. I'm excited. Thank you so much for your good company here today at this big Tennessee table. I really appreciate your good company. Let's first join Marshall Bales. As mentioned, he is a sixth-generation farmer on his family's farm in Mossheim, Tennessee, and he's been very active in 4-H in the past, and he's going to tell us about how he runs his egg program. Marshall, I'd just love to ask you about your egg program today. Thanks for spending some time. Well, thanks for uh, inviting me. Absolutely. So this is Marshall Bales, and we're up here in Mossheim, Bales Farms. Tell me, would you, last time I was up here, you were 10 years old, and I know that you spoke a lot about your egg program, and it's really taken off. I mean, it was big then, and now, I mean, it, you're, you're a serious farmer about um, taking care of your chickens and producing high-quality eggs. And now you're 14 at the time of this recording. How many years have you been doing this egg program? Well, we got chickens when I was about five. And then um, I think I started taking care of them by myself when I was seven or nine, I think. Wow. 
How'd you get into wanting to do this on the farm? There's a lot of different stuff you could do on a farm. Tell me how you turned to chickens. Well, I guess when I was five, I just thought they were cute. Do you still think they're cute? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Most of them. I do too. About how many laying hens have you got? Uh, I would say right now about 250. My goodness. So how many pounds of food do they eat a day? Um, usually every day I bring them about uh, one to two bags of food, and each bag of food is about 50 pounds, so. Oh my goodness. So tell me how you raise them. Grass, are they in cages? Are they out in the field? How do you raise them? Well, right now how we have it is we have these things called uh, egg mobiles, which um, basically it's just a big structure with roosting poles in it. Uh-huh. Uh, and then it has egg boxes on the sides where they just go in and lay eggs. And then it's surrounded by an electric fence where just keep them inside and keep the predators out. What kind of predators do you have up here? Um, well, some of them are like hawks and coyotes, and uh, but, you know, every once in a while the guard dog gets a little hungry. <laughs> Do you have one of those big white puffy dogs? Yeah, uh, Great Pyrenees. A Great Pyrenees. What's its name? Uh, his name is Dutch. So sometimes he just um, gets in a mood, I guess. Yeah, uh, he stress eats. Oh, <laughs> What kind of chickens do you raise? Do you have one kind or a bunch of different kinds? Well, I think right now we have three different kinds. We've got um, the newest batch is Buff Orpingtons, and then the oldest ones are uh, Cinnamon Queens, and then we have one Easter Egger. What does that mean? Is it blue colored or? Yeah, it lays uh, either blue or green eggs. How cute. People love those, don't they? Hmm. I mean, I would just look at a hen as a hen. I don't really know what kind make good laying hens. I guess you've done a lot of research and trial and error. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say probably my favorite laying hens are just the buff orpingtons, just because they're really nice. Mm-hmm. I bet they have that big old kind of puffy belly. Yeah. One time at the fair, uh, the chicken show, somebody called my chicken fat. Well, one of the judges did. Ooh. Did you have to explain? Well, yeah, I mean, since they're out on pasture, you can't control what they eat, so... I'd say a a puffy hen's a happy hen, wouldn't you? Yeah. You mentioned the fair. Tell me what fair you entered. Uh, Well, we go to the local Greene County Fair, and um, I just entered a bunch of stuff. But one of the things was the chicken show, but also did just the 4-H category, which is just anything, really. Okay. What kind of categories did you win ribbons in? Well, um, of course the chicken show, but also I did uh, Legos, drawings, I put eggs in, and some cookies in. What kind of cookies, I gotta ask? Um, sugar and chocolate chip. And then you've got pottery that you've made here too. You probably can just do just about anything you feel like. Yeah. You're one of those people. If you've got 250 laying hens, how many times a day do you have to go check on them? Um, usually only about once, um, but sometimes when it's really hot, I'll go down there about uh, lunchtime and water them. Okay. How do you let the door open and close in the day and in the night? How does that work? It's just an automatic system with a timer in it. Oh, nice. Is it um, solar? How does it run on what electricity? Yeah, I think it's part solar and also part battery. That saves a lot of time, doesn't it? Yeah. 
So do your hands stop laying when it gets cold or how does all that work throughout the year? They don't completely stop when it gets cold. They just really slow down a lot. I think most of it's because of the sun isn't out as long. So they just aren't encouraged, I guess. Mm -hmm. Do you just have to say, well, I just don't have as many eggs to deliver to you today, to the people who buy them from you? Or Yeah, I mean, usually how it is is right now I'm getting about, um, at the very least, like five dozen a day. Mm-hmm. And in the winter I'll get like 50 uh, eggs a day. Uh-huh. So. That's still pretty good. Let me ask you, do you like eggs? No, not really. <laughs> so many people that raise laying hens really don't like eggs. Well, I guess it keeps you from eating your profits. Yeah. Do you have a lot of people that love to buy your eggs and then just can't wait to get them from you? Well, I hope so. Where, where all do you sell them? Well, um, we sell them to grocery stores and um, we also sell them to just people who want to buy them and uh, restaurants. So do you wash all the eggs and pack them yourself? Yeah. I mean, we've got, uh, we've got kind of like an automatic washer you put the egg boxes in them and um, just turn it on and it's like a PVC pipe that just blows air up and it's just a big tub of water oh. so it just blows water up into them but it isn't you know completely uh, perfect so you still have to wash them and then put them in the uh, gardens okay some people have a philosophy of not washing leaving them at room temperature and some people believe in washing them and then refrigerating what what is it that you do in your process? I mean, I think it's just better to wash them because, you know, then you won't have to get chicken poop and stuff on your hands. I, I'm, I lean in that direction too, sir. Yeah. As you, you know, mature and all that stuff, are you always going to be in the egg business? Or is this just something you do while you're here at the house? I think it's just going to be something to pass the time. Uh-huh. Because you're sixth-generation farmer of this Bales family farms. How about other kind of farming? Do you want to also farm? Uh, I'm not too sure, but um, one thing that I am thinking of doing is um, later in a year or something like that is moving to pigs or something. Mm-hmm. Well, Marshall Bales, sixth generation young farmer, and thank you for encouraging other younger children to participate in 4-H. And I just appreciate your time talking with us today about your egg program. Well, uh, thanks for talking to me. Out here, hanging out with chickens, I don't get much of that. If you had to choose um, one of your favorite groups, what would it be? Not counting your dad's. <laughs> you... Huh, uh, that's a hard question. Um, the Mississippi Squirrel Revival. Ray Stevens. Did you figure that out from one of your dad's old albums here on the floor? No, I think uh, I think he just told me about it one day. I just looked it up. Well, Marshall Bales, thanks again for talking about a bunch of stuff and talking about raising, laying hens and eggs. Thank you. Well, uh, thanks for inviting me on here. Absolutely. You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table, and we've just heard from Marshall Bales, a 15-year-old, sixth-generation farmer who's in charge of the egg program at Bales Farm, Mossheim, Tennessee. Up next is Allison Bales, and she's going to share her mother's recipe for deviled eggs. Because what is Easter without deviled eggs?
everybody. Thanks for joining me today. I'm Allison Bales from Bales Farms in Greene County, and I'm so happy to be here with you, Amy, and my son Marshall. Most of you know us by now, but if you're just meeting me, let me quickly introduce myself and tell you my husband Barry, son Marshall, and I live on our family farm in East Tennessee and raise grass-fed and grass-finished beef, pastured pork, and pastured poultry, and as you just heard, Marshall runs a pastured egg operation. Today, in keeping with the theme of this episode, I thought I would share with you Marshall's favorite way to enjoy eggs, deviled. Someone asked me a while back what exactly a deviled egg is, and my response was that it's an elevated experience of a boiled egg. You can devil about anything, crabs, chicken, veggies, it's just a process of making something bland, spicy, and tasty. I did some research and found out people have been deviling eggs since the Roman Empire. The first written recipe for deviled eggs that I found was in Fanny Farmer's cookbook from 1896 entitled The Boston Cooking School Cookbook. If you've never gotten your hands on that cookbook, I really recommend it. There's a ton of great recipes in there, as well as tips for things like setting a table for high tea, and even preparing a full holiday meal for 16 people. So deviling eggs has been around for a long time, and you can devil way more than eggs, but today that's what I'm focusing on, Marshall's very favorite deviled eggs. This recipe is from my mom, who is famous for her deviled eggs. People come from far and wide to grab her eggs, and she has graciously given me permission to share how she makes hers with you. Here it is. Take six whole eggs and place in boiling water for 12 minutes, and then plunge into ice water for 15 minutes. Once the eggs are cooled, you need to peel carefully. After peeling, slice the eggs in half long ways and scoop out the yolk into a bowl place the egg whites aside. In the bowl, fluff the egg yolks with a fork and add the following. One half cup JFG mayonnaise. And I am serious about my mayo. I think JFG is the best by far, and it's made right here in East Tennessee. In fact, it's been made in Knoxville since 1919. So use it. Two teaspoons of sweet pickle relish. Two teaspoons of sweet pickle juice. 1 fourth teaspoon yellow mustard, and salt and pepper to taste. Mix all those together and then scoop back into the egg whites. If you're feeling really fancy, pipe the spiced yolks into the whites with a piping tip. Now, I will say as an addendum that a lively option for the pickle relish and juice if you don't have homemade pickles is to use my favorite store-bought pickles. That's a brand from North Carolina called Wickles. We love them. They're sweet with just a little heat, and they add a sweet kick to the deviled eggs. But if you're not into Wickles, stick with sweet pickles you have on hand. And if you have your own homemade pickles, you're that far ahead. Okay, once you've assembled your eggs, place them on an egg tray or platter. Garnish with chives and paprika and watch them disappear. You know, I used to think deviled eggs took forever and were really cumbersome, but they're pretty simple. The hardest part by far is peeling the eggs, 
And if you splash a little vinegar in the ice water, that will help them peel easier. Another trick I have learned is to take the cooled egg and lightly tap around the shell on a countertop. Then gently roll the egg under your hand on said countertop and the shell will easily peel away. And that's it. Deviled eggs that will be the hit of your Easter lunch, spring picnic, or anytime you have extra eggs to enjoy. I hope you'll try this recipe and let me know how you like it. As always, if you want to know more about us or see Marshall in action, please reach out. You can also follow us at bellsfarmstn.com. Thanks! You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table. We've just heard from Allison Bales of Bales Farm sharing her mother's deviled egg recipe, and I really appreciate her tips for how to peel those boiled eggs more easily. I don't know what it is. I often have problems with that. And next up is Karen Sorio, who formerly owned and operated Something Savory Restaurant. Karen is going to tell us about that traditional Easter treat, hot cross buns, and her recipe for them. Before we hear from Karen, I have a few pairs of tickets for the 25th Annual National Cornbread Festival, which is taking place April 22nd, 23rd, and 24th in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. Now, these are not for sale through this show, but rather a giveaway. I'll put all the names in a hat, and we'll draw them at random. And I will be drawing these names this Sunday evening, 8 p.m., April 17th. To enter, please email me, Amy through my website, which is TennesseeFarmTable.com, and look for the page that says Cornbread Festival Tickets. This year, they've asked me to judge this festival, and they just wanted to share some tickets with listeners to this show. So good luck. Now, let's join Karen Zorio and hear about these hot cross buns. What are hot cross buns for people who don't know? Okay, hot cross buns are a spicy little sweet bun. They're not a cinnamon roll, but they do have spices in them. And they're an Easter tradition. Started way back in the 12th century. Some monks used to make them and give them out to the poor on Easter week. What a treat it was, I bet. Yes, and it became a tradition over many years, you know, in England, mostly in the United Kingdom. Scotland, England, Wales, that's where it originated. But now it's become more popular around the world. They look, they literally have a little cross on the top of them. They do. And, you know, the hot cross buns are, um, they represent the end of Lent. The Lent season ends. It's 40 days of Lent. And so that typically ends on Good Friday. And that's when a lot of people serve these. When I had the bake shop, that's when I would sell the most of them was on Good Friday. People would come in and buy them by the dozens. Oh, my goodness. Yes. What a fun time. All those people who give up bacon for Lent, then woohoo, they can eat bacon and hot cross <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> Lent gets long, and that's the point of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it represents, too, when you go back and look at the religious history, you mentioned the church, you know, serves them. Um, that 40 days was a time um, when Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days, and he fasted, and he prayed, and he searched. And so that's that's why we celebrate Lent. And then these little rolls, um, the cross on the top represents the crucifixion of Jesus. And the spices that we use inside of those rolls represent the spices that they used to entomb him on his burial. I did not know that. Yes. What are the spices? Well, you can use a variety, but typically cinnamon, cardamom, and uh, peels of lemon and orange 
the dried lemon peels and orange peels give it that extra special little flavor. But you can add any type of spices that you prefer, but cardamom and cinnamon are the most popular. Are they hard to make? Well, they're a yeast bread, and if you've done any baking at all, you kind of know that yeast breads can be a little tricky at times. <laughs> it's a time and temperature thing for yeast. And so, no, they're not hard to make because you don't have to proof your yeast. Yeah, I put everything in a mixer all at once okay. and just whip it up and let it rise. And then I cut it into 12 little sections and um, put it in a grease dish, glass dish, and let it rise another hour or so and then bake them off. It takes about 15 minutes to bake them. Well, for you, it might be easy. Oh, I think anyone could. I find it easier than some yeast breads. Yeah, I really do. It looks like there might be little raisins in them. Do I you? use currants. You do? Yes. You can put golden raisins. Uh, some people like little bits of dried fruit like apricot or cherry. You could use that very easily in these. Golden raisins and currants are popular. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Don't you know if you're poor and you've been just eating root vegetables and things in the middle yes. of the winter, what a treat this would be. Oh, yes. Mm -mm -mm. I think it was a treat for them. Yes. It is for me today. <laughs> I hope you enjoy these. These are for you. Thank you. You're welcome. Do you mind to run down a basic recipe? For oh, me? I'll be glad to. Thank you. Let's see if I can remember everything. I start out by putting three quarters of a cup of warm water. Get that water to around 110 degrees, not too hot. It'll kill your yeast. But just about 110 degrees. And then I add a quarter cup of sugar, three tablespoons of butter, two tablespoons of dried yeast, a half a teaspoon of salt, a teaspoon of cardamom, a teaspoon of ground cinnamon, and three cups of flour. And if you want to make these vegan, you can leave the dairy out, but I put a tablespoon of milk in mine. Milk t tends to make the dough soft. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then take an egg and beat that egg up and add it to the batter. And just turn your mixer on and let it mix up for, I let mine mix a good five minutes. You want to build that gluten up. It gives that roll a little bit of te good texture. And then after that, I take it out and um, cover it with a um, dry towel and let it rise somewhere in a warm spot for about an hour. And it'll double in size. And then I punch it down and I roll it out into a log and cut that log into 12 equal pieces and grease a glass 9 by 13 baking dish and put those rolls in there. They'll be touching each other, they'll be crowded. And then take an egg yolk with a teaspoon of water and whip that egg yolk up with a fork and take a pastry brush and brush the top of those rolls while they're still dough and before you let them rise. Now you're going to want those to sit somewhere quiet for about an hour and rise again. And when you look in that glass dish they're going to be doubled in size. And that's when you pop them in a hot oven, 375 degrees, for 20 minutes. And now one of the tricks is to keep your dough from getting soggy, you'll want to take it out. As soon as it comes out of the oven, take it out of that glass dish, put it on a wire rack, and let it cool. Let it get really cool for about an hour. And then you're going to take a half a cup of powdered sugar, a quarter teaspoon of vanilla extract, and one tablespoon of milk or heavy cream, whatever you got in the fridge and whip it up in a dish. And then you want to put it in a little bag. You can take a Ziploc bag if you don't have a pastry bag. Cut the tip out of it and go ahead and put a little stripe across on top of each one. 
and let them sit for a little while. But you want to make sure your rolls are cool so that your glaze doesn't go spreading around. But that little touch of icing gives them just a little bit of sweetness and puts the little cross on top, which is what we enjoy looking at. <laughs> so beautiful. Thank you. For people listening, I want y'all to know that she just said all that with no notes. This woman knows her business. <laughs> I've baked for a few years. <laughs> I learned to bake from my grandmother. My grandmother loved to cook and bake. Back in the oh, 19, late 30s and 40s, she um, ran a boarding house. Really? Uh-huh, she did, and she cooked. And then later on in life, um, her grandchildren came along. I was her firstborn grandchild. And grandmother was so patient, she'd always let me in the kitchen. She'd tie an apron on me, put a chair up to the counter, and let me help her with whatever she was making, whether it was rolling out biscuits or stirring mashed potatoes, whatever she needed me to do, I, I learned to help. I remember her teaching me how to use a paring knife <laughs> when I was little. <laughs> and after a few nicks and cuts here and there, I finally learned. But I, I think I, I must have developed that love of cooking at an early age from her. And it's still today, and I'm passing it on to my grandchildren. That's such a beautiful thing. What was her name? Minnie. Minnie Allen. She was a identical twin. Minnie and Winnie. Oh, <laughs> and you couldn't tell them apart. Where'd she live her life? Kentucky. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. What part? Uh, Williamsburg. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. What a lovely memory. Yes. It, what a good way to learn from a family member that loves you enough to, to teach you. It takes patience. I know that now as a grandmother. <laughs> when I tie an apron on my little five-year-old and six-year-old granddaughters and they want to help me roll out dough, it takes a lot of patience because I know at the end of this endeavor, I've got about an hour's worth of cleanup. <laughs> and I'm sure my dear grandmother did too. <laughs> Is that what they call paying for your raisins? <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table, and we've just heard from Karen Zorio, formerly owner and operator of Something Savory, as she shared her recipe and story for hot cross buns. I sure hope that you're having a good Easter weekend, and I want to thank you so very much for tuning into the podcast or radio broadcast. Thank you. This is Marshall Bells of Bells Farms in Mossheim, Tennessee, and you're listening to the Tennessee Farm Table. Thank you so much for joining us here today at the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. It has been an honor to have your good company. We always love to hear from you on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or through the website, TennesseeFarmTable.com. I'd sure love to hear from you and swap some recipes and stories. Big thanks to Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee, for the musical arrangement and singing and recording of our theme song, for updated appearances, schedule, news, and her new recording. Connect with Emmy Sunshine at TheEmmySunshine.com. We hope you have a good week and keep on digging. This has been a Campbell Creative Incorporated production.